You are listening to Myth Behaving, a podcast with a little bit of attitude on the literary world. Won't you come Myth Behave with us? Hello, and welcome to Myth Behaving. This is episode number 24 of the Myth Behaving podcast, and we're recording on January the 12th, 2014. I'm Carla Clifton, and I'm joined by my normal partner in crime, Mayor Wilson. Hey, Mayor, how are you? I'm fine. How are you today, Carla? Very well, indeed. Thank you. I started working on my biography that I'm going to be doing, so I have been, book three is done, it's out to betas, this has just been such a busy time. Oh yeah, I know you've been just, uh, you've disappeared, so. Yeah, yeah, I've been in the writing and editing and revising cave. (laughs) Oh yeah, oh yeah. Each misbehaving show features a very special guest from the literary world. It could be a writer, a publisher, an agent, or anyone else connected to the world of publishing. Plus, we have several special segments related to reading or writing. Shh. Be very quiet when hunting books in the library of a misbehaver. And that means it's time for something from the library of the misbehaver. Today, I'm recommending the young adult novel, The Shepherd, by Travis Lutke. This young adult book is edgy, it's gritty, and it's very compelling because it's got a 16-year-old guy for the lead, and it's first person, which is really cool. You don't see that all the time. It's a super fast read. Uh, The characters are dynamic. There are twists and turns in this book. In fact, I actually had an out loud, and I'm not kidding, out loud, wow, I didn't see that coming moment. And that's really rare for me because I don't usually talk to the dogs about books. But I, 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 that, was, that one just really took me by surprise. So if you want something different in the young adult category, this book, uh, Paranormal, Paranormal Young Adult, this is it. Give uh, The Shepherd a, call, uh, a read. It's really good. And that must mean, plus the giggle, <laughs> that our special guest today <laughs> is Travis Lutke. Welcome to the show, Travis. And thank you so much for joining us today. I'm, I'm really glad to be here. And thank you for the glowing endorsement. You've got me with a huge grin now. Oh, good. Well, we're thrilled to have you chat with us, Travis. Um You've had such a, a diverse and interesting career so far. And, of course, I'm happy to have you here because you and I have been friends online for a while now, and we belong to the same authors group. But I, I want to focus on you to begin with. Um, you've not only written this awesome young adult novel, you also have a very big following in the adult 18-plus, very steamy genres as well. Your nightlife series is extremely popular. Uh Considering that popularity, could you tell our listeners why you chose to write to write a young adult novel when you had this whole uh, franchise going? Well, believe it or not, when I wrote the very first book uh, in the Nightlife series, Nightlife New York, I had briefly thought it could be a young adult novel. It was about halfway through the book writing the first sex scene that I realized it was never going to be a young adult novel, but I had always wanted to write a young adult novel uh, primarily so that my kids could read something I have written. And um, it took a while 
to get to the point where I was comfortable publishing The Shepherd. I actually wrote it in, the, in 2011 and sat on it for quite a while. I had mixed reviews from some beta readers, and when I rewrote it, it went from third person to first person. But um, I guess I just, I have plans for other young adult novels, so I really wanted to get in that genre. Even though I'm not really there, I don't have the following like I do in ha with the adult series. I, I really wanted something my kids could enjoy, and they all did enjoy it. And I wanted something that um, hit that younger market. You know, because I mean, at some point, these kids who have read my young adult novel uh, might grow up and buy one of my adult novels. So that's, um, you know, there's a lot of similarity between the two, even though the content is quite a bit more risque in the Nightlife series. Um, there's a lot of similarity in my writing style, a lot of similarity in uh, subject matter. Yeah, I can I can see that. I haven't I haven't read any of the adult series. I've I've read the the blurbs on them though, and they promise to be very steamy, very exciting. I mean, Fifty Shades can just move on over and let the <laughs> nightlife series take up. And the thing I've heard about um, that sets your your nightlife series apart and why it's so popular is it's not just you know eighteen plus. It's not just erotica. It's got a plot. It's got you know, defined characters. It's not just an excuse to write the sex scenes. It's it's um, a fully realized novel. It just happens to have some spice to it. Yeah, there's um, there's a lot of hot scenes. I, I just, it's almost impossible for me to write without that. I just seem to always have that sexual tension going. It, I had to kind of carve it out with a scalpel when I wrote The Shepherd. And even still, there's a little bit of teen steaminess going on there in The Shepherd. So yeah, I didn't is. get rid of it completely. But I did I did tone it down quite a bit. But I, I because there are so many adults who read young adult as well, I think if it had been completely missing, your your adult readers who've moved over to, to The Shepherd probably would have been shocked and had to check the cover to make sure they were reading the same author, you know. Yeah, I might maybe even be disappointed. Who knows? But yeah, I, I did have a large following from the adult series that jumped onto The Shepherd and loved it. So I can see that. Of truth and mythery. Of Truth and Mythery is a segment where we take a commonly held publishing or writing belief and examine whether it's true or just another myth. Travis, feel free to answer this. Social media is important for an author. Social media is, I don't see how an author can function without it. Um, unless you are already you know, sitting on the shelf at Walmart with your book. Uh, every author needs to have a presence in every major social media network. You need to have a presence on Facebook. You need to have a presence on Twitter. You need a presence on Goodreads, uh, Google+. You have to be there. Even if you're not posting very often, you still have to have that presence, and you have to know how to use it more or less and it's all tied together, a blog. All that stuff is um, interwoven. Um, I could go on and on about this for hours because I, I'm, 
I guess you could say I'm probably a social media addict. I spend way too much time in social media. But uh, even for those authors who use it, you know, less than an hour a day, they do need it. And I can guarantee you that being out there and being accessible, it makes a connection. Um, right now, Wattpad, for example, I have barely even scratched the surface with Wattpad. Wattpad is really huge with young adults. Um, it's, it's not even my generation. You know, you've just got all these younger teens and these new adult type of personalities in their 20s that are writing and exchanging and critiquing each other and giving each other votes. And, and it's a hugely social environment. And I'm not even touching it. But I've been there for over a year and a half. And people see me there. And it's, you know, search engine optimization. Being in all these different social media, uh, having all these social media profiles, when you pull up your author name on Google, what do you see? You see blog posts. You see social media profiles. So you really do need these things. Uh, I know that even some of the more successful traditionally published authors have been told they need to get out there and uh, be vocal, be, be heard, be seen in social media. They need to tweet once in a while. They need to be on Facebook. Obviously, Stephen King doesn't need to, you know. Obviously, Stephanie Meyer doesn't need to. But they do. But, well, you know, if, if they want to maintain a, uh, some type of contact that, um, that allows them to, to seem accessible, then mm -hmm. yes, they do. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think that social media, you know, like it or not, it's out there and everybody uses it. They may not use Twitter, but they will use Facebook. They may not use Facebook, so they use Google Plus or LinkedIn or, you know, there's so many things out there that people are using. And if an author, like you said, I think it's very important that they be accessible. I mean, they may hire someone to actually do it for them, like Stephen King or Stephanie Myers. Sure. But... Someone is answering the people, you know, yeah. so they feel closer to the author because of it. I, I can't even tell you how many times I have met someone on Twitter or Facebook or someone who saw my blog. And that made a connection that led to not only a book sale, but a person who eventually might become a beta reader, eventually might become a fan or what you would call a super fan where they are a person to sit there and wave your flag and jump up and down when your new book comes out. And, you know, so all their social media influence now becomes yours because they're a super fan. Right. And that's only because I was there and they could talk to me. And uh, I also have a, a novel that I give out, an ebook I give out. So that's a huge plus in social media as a bonus to, to new people who meet me. Say, here, have my free book. That's awesome. That is awesome. Travis, what got you into writing? Well, I'd been a fan for all through my teenage years. I loved horror, the paranormal, the macabre. I loved sci-fi. Not so big on fantasy, but 
that all blends together on those bookshelves. They never even knew how to separate fantasy from sci-fi. You know, it's only recently that stuff has started to separate it all. But um, eventually, as an adult, I started seeing this this newer style where they blended those horrific macabre elements into something kind of risque, kind of romantic, kind of erotic, uh, what people call ur- urban fantasy romance or uh, paranormal romance. It's also called paranormal erotica. And it's when I saw that, that's when I hit this moment where I realized there really is a best of both worlds. You can have the intensity, that thriller. Um, it's It's almost like a horror novel mixed with um, these spicy romantic elements. And so it was when I ran into that, I realized I really enjoyed this kind of book specifically. And so I started scrounging for everything I could find. Uh, I went through everything Lowell K. Hamilton wrote, uh, J.R. Ward, another author you don't see much of lately, but she was real big a few years ago, and that was Sunny. She has uh, a large paranormal romance novel series. Um, trying to think of oh Charlene Harris, but Charlene Harris is really just fantasy. Um, it's only when they decided to make films out of her story when they went to True Blood that they actually enhanced the romance and the erotica because she doesn't write that stuff. She writes fantasy, right? And uh, very little romance. She she doesn't write a sex scene at all. She skips it. So, um, but you know books like that. That became my focus, and there was a day that I was just sitting there, and I was reading a book, and it, it occurred to me that I could write a story that I would actually enjoy reading, something in this in this kind of genre, something that blended together all these things I like that are kind of hard to find in a blend. And uh, I had just finished reading a book... Um, I'm not sure if you know it. It's called A Year in the Mierde by Stephen Clark. And it's a hilarious novel about a British guy trying to get by in France as he's chasing all these French women. And he's, you know, tripping over the the French corporate um, politics. And it occurred to me that I could have this character that uh, became Michelle, the character in the Nightlife series. And she's a French femme femme fatale. And... um, she has an accent so steep you can hardly understand what she says sometimes. And uh, so I just heard her talking to my mind, and before I knew it, I had this book, and it just flowed out of me, and it wouldn't stop. And the rest of the series, the whole the whole plot line for the series flowed out of me and just wouldn't stop. And from there, I realized that I could actually write. And it was only until I, I put my writing in front of beta readers that I realized that Though you can write, you still need editors, and uh, so you can't you can't do it alone. You need a team of editors and critique partners in order to make your writing palatable for consumption. Yeah, I I think one thing that's fun too, Travis, about your books is they are about vampires, and everybody knows that vampires are like the sexiest paranormal creature out there at least seems to be over the last 10 years anyway yeah pretty much vampires and uh, you know shifters werewolves are a hot hot commodity right now too it's time for myth print 
tips and tricks of the industry. Well, it's time for another one of our special segments. MythPrint includes a basic tip concerning writing, marketing, or anything else to do with the industry. Travis, could you share some tips on how an author can make themselves more visible to their readers? As I mentioned earlier, uh, I give away a book. It's an e-book. It doesn't cost me anything. I suggest new authors who intend to stick with this, intend to publish a series, intend to publish uh, multiple novels and stick with this, be it at a hobby level or eventually a full-time, whatever. If you plan to do more than one book, I suggest you look into giving away one of those books, either a short novella or um, even if it's a short story or a full-length novel that's the beginning of a series. Give that away, but give it away the right way. Um, Get an email. Get somebody signed on to your mailing list somebody who really wanted that book enough to give you an email. Because, you know, a lot of people, you put that hurdle in front of them, you have to give me your email to sign on to my mailing list, and I'll give you this book. If they didn't really want it, then they're not going to do that. So that that sort of qualifies that the person might actually even read that someday. And build your email list. Build, you know, spread your your name out there by giving them something free. And it's not really going to hurt you in the long run if you intend to write several novels, if you intend to write 40 novels, whatever. Giving away one book is not going to hurt you. You're not losing money. What you're getting is a fan who could tell someone else, and that's a person you may not have ever connected with if you hadn't given them that book. So... My advice right out the gate is to give something away in order to get an email and build that email list. Because later on, when you have five, six, seven, eight, nine books and you're going to release a new one, that email list will make the difference between a blase release of, you know, just a handful of sales and an explosive release where everybody starts hearing your name for the first time. That is such excellent advice. Excellent advice. Yeah, he he mentioned that to me, what what, what was it, a few days ago. So uh, one of my stories is free now. Thank you, Travis. (laughs) But just make sure you're getting an email. That's great. I mean, I know that like in work, I use, there are several different clients out there, but I use vertical response or you could use constant contact or any of those type of email programs, which are what I like about those, you know, by getting their email addresses as an opt-in and they can unsubscribe very easily. So it's very manageable by the person instead of by you. Um, That way people aren't as intimidated at giving you their email address. They know they can always get out of it. You know, so. Yeah, yeah. I use MailChimp right now. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's what I use. Well, Travis, writing is a process, as we both know, of so many things. What do you love most about what you do? Well, I I do enjoy social media too much, which has nothing to do with writing, but a lot to do with promoting my writing. So that's one thing I enjoy more than I should. But. Uh, in, in the writing aspect, 
I love getting deep into that story where you where you're hitting that um I don't know what you'd call it. I guess you'd call it the curve. It's usually somewhere in the, in the in the end of the first chapter or the second chapter where you're hitting that moment that the story is taking on these intense dimensions and as a writer it's drawing me in just as much as I know it's going to draw the reader in because I really want to get the rest of it written but I'm having so much fun writing it because I know that this is the point where it's the clinch moment in this book this is where everybody gets sucked into the book and so I, I love getting there because the intensity of it just it, it keeps you writing and you can feel that in the book you can feel that this is where everything starts hitting and there's no way you can put the book down after you hit that point I love That's those moments point. I love those moments absolutely love those moments but he's right they're just as fun for the author you know writing it so that's that's a that's a really that's a really cool thing to like about it and i don't think i've ever had anybody point that that out before so well done travis well travis is there anything about the process that you don't like i uh, saw this funny tweet a friend of mine tweets all the time and uh it says Waiting on beta readers is like standing in a line outside the only bathroom. And so I guess uh, <laughs> putting your work out there and waiting for a response that you know is going to be a critical response, critical in that they're going to have red lines through everything, and they're going to tell you that this beautiful, wonderful work of art you gave them is flawed in so many ways and needs to be redone. And... You know, you, you're missing all these commas and everything else. And so um, I guess the, the process of editing and waiting for that response, I, that part I don't care for so much. Yeah. <laughs> I'm right there with you on that one. You're the administrator for Author Social Media Support Group. Now, and that is uh, ASMSG, which has got a huge following on Facebook. How important is it, do you think, for authors to interact with other authors? Well, I believe that uh, right now what you're seeing is authors in social media are trying to build a brand of some kind. And one of the best ways to get someone else to wave your flag is to make friends with someone else who's an author, who understands your, your situation. So you connect with other authors and you're, you're learning from them. What have they done? So you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You can learn, well, how did you sell this many books in this month? What, what marketing did you use? How are you arranging, you know, how are you doing this with your blog? So you learn all the things about marketing. Uh, you learn all the things, the ins and outs of social media. Uh, we have on ASMSG, we have a lot of things where we are essentially sharing, uh, kind of like a, a three musketeers atmosphere, all for one and one for all, where everybody is sharing material across their social media. So you'll see on my Twitter, you'll see tons of material from other authors, other authors' books. You'll see my own, obviously, um, and that's a sharing process. 
And if you go and look at those authors, you're going to see my material on their social media. So we're, we're cross-sharing each other, cross-promoting each other. And um, it extends your reach. You're reaching people you never would have reached before. But uh, the other thing is what we were talking about with beta readers and critique and editing. You get feedback from your peers on your writing. You know, hey, I read this. I, I enjoyed it, but I thought this about it. So, you know, if you can handle that, you know, a lot of people do not have the turtle shell for critique. And if you don't, it's tough. You've got to be able to take um, critical opinion. So, but that's that's one of the neat things about interacting with other authors is getting getting some critique from them. You can share. I've, I've built a team, a wonderful team of critique partners, and uh, they write mostly, they write romance, erotic romance. Uh, one lady writes sci-fi. So, but they know my writing style and I know theirs. And I never would have found those people if I wasn't out in social media meeting other authors. Very cool. Well, Travis, authors work in so many different ways. Are you a planner, outlining everything and making extensive notes? Or are you a pantser, flying by the seat of your pants and letting your book go wherever it will? I start out as a planner. I do make a plan. I envision different characters. I plot it out. And then what happens is it stews for a while. I don't think it's a great idea to just write something that you just thought of yesterday. Uh, that's just me, but uh, I let it stew for a while and see, does it still seem like a great idea tomorrow and the day after that and next week? And if so, then the idea will actually develop itself in my mind. Whether I write out that plan further, you know, on a, on a document or by hand, if it's a great idea, it'll stick. And it'll keep developing. Then once I actually start writing it, I'm more or less a pantser. I've got a, a loose plan of where I want it to go, but it kind of just writes itself. These things, they just take on a life of their own and just, you know, before you know it, your characters are doing things and have dialogue you never thought they would do. And it just, it just happened. It just came from that. Uh, what was it that Napoleon Hill called it the ether? He had one of those uh, self-help guru things going in the early 1900s, talking about how everybody accesses the ether. And I've always thought that was a neat idea of the ether. So somehow or other, these, these things just write themselves. And at that point, you're pretty much a pantser because you're no longer following that plan. You're, it's, you know, moment by moment, the dialogue is writing itself because the characters have, have a life of their own. Travis, what's next for you? Another young adult book, uh, another addition to the Nightlife series, something different. What's next? Yes, and yes, and yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have, uh, that's what I'm writing right now, is another young adult novel. And um, it's a story that will also be first person. Even though there'll be moments of third person where events happen that the main character doesn't know about, but the majority of the story will be uh, from the first person perspective of a 14 year old girl. And 
she, her mother was in the military and she was over in Kosovo, met a man that was a mercenary. They had a little fling. 14 years later, she's got a daughter that's a 14-year-old daughter. And because of her discharge from the military, she never found this guy again, never saw him. She tried to find him. So he was missing from this girl's life. Some things happened. They're over in Milwaukee. Some things happened. And this woman ends up dying in a home invasion, the mother. So the story really begins when the daughter, who really doesn't have anyone, is finding out the hard way that her father is alive and he's over in Seattle. And so it's a story of uh, her coming of age, of her meeting this man and trying to figure out what to do with him. It's a paranormal thriller. There are paranormal elements, but I would completely explode and destroy and spoil the plot if I told you how those paranormal aspects come in. You just have to find out. So uh, it's going to be a very intense, uh, probably fast-paced novel. And uh, I haven't even figured out the name for it yet, but it is a young adult novel. That and I also have cool. plans to con- I have plans to continue the Nightlife series. I have plans for another series. So the, the answer is yes across the board on all those. You are just so busy. Yeah. Well, we have seen a lot of changes in the industry just in the last couple of years. How do you feel about the changes and how they have impacted your own work? I am constantly adapting because um, we have to. What I thought was going on in the publishing business, the independent publishing business a year ago, year and a half ago, is not the same thing that I know is going on now. So there's a lot of shifting trends, and I'm always trying to keep my thumb on them and watch where they're going and maybe predict where they're going and figure out where they are today. So I'm always trying to make a plan as to where do I want to be with my marketing? Where do I want to be with my writing? And how do I want to adjust to, you know, what's happening right now? Right now, uh, this is an example. I'd like to see hubs of content put together for authors. I'd like to see big hubs of content surrounding genre groupings. And I'd like to be involved in that so that all my social media is specific to a hub of content. For example, paranormal romance, urban fantasy. So I want to build that hub and have all my social media revolve around that. So me and a bunch of authors that all write this kind of, of novel can all exchange in this hub. At the same time, I want to have a hub for romance or erotic romance and do the same there. I want to have a hub for young adult and do the same there. So that's just an example of 
what I'm trying to do to adjust to what I see as changes. Um, there's too much content in social media. It's a, it's a massive flurry of unrelated content. I want to see it get reorganized. And uh, I think curating content is the future. So chasing social media is going to be about who can best curate content for their audience. That's very savvy. The myth number is... And now it's time for myth number, our word or phrase for today. And today's phrase is self-publishing. Travis, you have built such a great franchise for yourself. Do you have any other special tips to share on marketing? <sighs> yeah, write your next book. <laughs> um, it's been said many times over, the best marketing for your existing publications is the next one. So get out there and write that next book and publish it because that's what's going to lead to a bunch of new people seeing that, hey, this person has three other books, people that never saw your, your writing before, people you were never exposed to before, but they, they see this wave of this new book launch. So that's my advice is publish another book. I think that's really good advice. I know that as a reader, if I find a book that I really like and, and I enjoy it, I go and I, I Google that author to see what else they've written so that I can go and maybe purchase another book that they've written. So I think you're dead on with that. And you bring up an interesting point. With ebooks, you really want to have live hyperlinks, color book covers. I mean, not all e-readers support color, but I put it in there anyway. You want to have that book be the gateway to everything else all of your social media and all your novels. And there's no reason you can't have that in an ebook. I agree. He, he, Travis is the one who told me to do that, and that's why I did that in book two, because he's the one who told me to put those live links in there. So I've got that, those live links to the book trailer and everything else. So that really was excellent advice. I am as, so glad that you told her to do that, because I have been <laughs> trying to get her to hyperlink everything, including her own books on her own side. <laughs> So, uh, sell, sell, sell. <laughs> yeah. Hyperlink everything. Absolutely. Well, tra Travis is, is my marketing guru here, in case you <laughs> hadn't figured that out. All righty. Well, Travis, if you could have a dinner party with any seven people living dead or fictional, who would you include? Wow. I could have a dinner party. I suppose I would include... Bill Gates, and Jeff Bezos. Is that how you say his last name? Bezos? Bezos? And who was that guy that uh, went to jail on the big, uh, the big junk bond explosion? He moved, I don't know how many billions of dollars of junk bonds and ended up going to jail for it. They made a movie about him. I can't think of his name, though. I have no idea. <laughs> you can tell we're into trading. He was a fascinating person because he, he had the secret. He learned the secret to printing money. There's, there's secrets that can be learned. But he got in trouble for it and uh, went to jail. 
Um, let's see. I, I, I got to add some more people to that list, don't I? Yeah, that's three. Fictional. Let's see. I suppose at my own risk, I would want to meet uh, Anne Rice's hero, uh, Lestat. He would be fun to meet, Lestat. And, and definitely risky. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because he's, um, you know, very, very, very few humans that ever met him survived. Who else? I suppose I'd want to meet Batman. He'd be fun to meet. Did I hit seven yet? That's five. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Well, Two more, Travis. Okay. Let's try I'll Try for a couple more comic book heroes. Wolverine. Wolverine Absolutely. would be awesome. And Superman, I guess I'd go with the cliche. Superman would be fun to meet. Well, that sounds like a heck of a party there. <laughs> I want to go to that one. <laughs> Yeah, so we can we can talk investments and superhero stuff and yeah. what an eclectic group. <laughs> Travis, what question do you never get asked in your interviews that you wish someone would ask you? And what would your answer be? You know, I never have been asked because I get a lot of readers who kind of sort of grumble and wonder, but they never directly ask me, What kind of sex life does that guy have? <laughs> and uh <laughs> I've had a, I've had some reviewers say this, you know, because of the, the, the things that I've written. And my answer would be, well, you're going to have to read my books to find out. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> That's an awesome answer. Well, Travis, everyone has their own personal myths, things a, a lot of people think about us that may or may not be true, their own personal myth behaviors. What myth behavior... Do people believe it about you that is absolutely not true? I guess the the main myth is um, that I've reached this certain level of success that I have arrived. And how did I get there? And the truth is um, I'm still reaching for that. I'm not quite there. I'm just going to have to keep writing until the world can no longer, uh, you know, get by a day without hearing my name. <laughs> I love that answer. Me too. <laughs> okay, so what misbehavior do people believe about you that really is true? That I'm a social media addict? I guess that would be. Uh, <laughs> I think we all know that one. <laughs> that would be very true. Excellent answer. Well, Travis, that's the end of our show. We want to thank you again for being our guest, and we appreciate all the information and sharing that you've done with us. Yeah, I, I, I'm really grateful that you took the time to be with us today. And boy, you gave us a lot of really good information. So I, I greatly appreciate that. Thank you again for that. Remember, everyone, you can go to MythBehaving.com for more information about Travis Ludke and links to his books. You can also read his bio and find links to all of his social media. And don't forget, you can download this episode right on iTunes or listen to it on the MythBehaving.com website. Please take a moment to leave us a positive feedback on iTunes. That's how we move up the iTunes ladder. 
And you can subscribe to us right on iTunes, too, and never, ever miss an episode. Well, thanks for tuning in to Myth Behaving, and we'll see you again next time. Until next time, I'm Carla. And I'm Mare, and we are Myth Behaving, where reality meets fantasy. See you soon.